That 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective, lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to lowerthefriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's lowerthefriction.com. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the weekly Secrets of Saturn livestream. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. Joining me this week are Wayne McCroy and the great Baldini, and I have a special guest hanging out at my house for a little while. If he can make it into the camera, this is Steve. Everybody say hi. Hey, everybody. Hey, Steve. Steve is hey, the producer Steve. for Freeman Fly, and he's on his way on a trip to Texas, and he stopped by to say hello. So he's welcome to hang out as long as he likes. I All heard right. he's pretty fly. Yeah, why don't we talk about that for a second, Steve? Why don't you move over, Steve, and you can, right. uh, you can talk a little bit about who you are, what you do. To tell us about Freeman, since that's your, that's your main guy. And well, yeah, I've... Uh, Oh, got got, got from there? There we go. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I've been uh, uh, producing uh, for Freeman for about five years now, uh, finding the guest and lining them all up, and then he does the rest. So uh, uh, I live in Orlando, and I also work a little bit with Robert Phoenix. Um, he does a few shows, uh, 15 Minutes of Flame, Friday Farcast, and then he has a Sunday night uh uh, show that he does too, but last year he had uh, the Harvest Moon Gathering, and and uh, he's doing it again this year. It's in uh, the uh, Hill Country of Texas in Kerrville, and uh, so it's just three days of uh, gathering. And uh, uh, Masaki Miyagawa will be there, um, Emily Moyer. Uh, we have some other uh, people. Uh, Hope Easton from L.A. She's a musician, and uh, I believe her name is Lee Guest. Um, She'll be there Sunday, so it's just you know like 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 the gatherings that we all like to go to and um, just uh, getting together and and having a little uh, uh, camaraderie and 
talking shop and just having a good time. It, yep. And you're also going to be uh, coming to see us at the Flattoberfest oh, October that's right. 24th. That's right. So, and so will Freeman. So uh, that's going to be a little gathering in, um, what's the name of the Greenville. town? Greenville. Greenville, mm -hmm. South Carolina. Yep. And I'll be putting on a presentation, The Social Engineering of Manned Space Flight. I've already got it. I'll be making voice. coffee. You'll be making coffee? Yeah. You're going to be making me coffee? I'll make you coffee. I won't oh, make you yeah. into coffee, but I'll make coffee <laughs> for you. Yes. Good thing you clarified there. Yeah, because we be were all worried there. for a minute. Yeah, Jason, Jason just made me some good uh, Ethiopian coffee. Very nice. nice. We, got, we got to get him all powered back up so he can make the final leg of his That's journey right. here. <laughs> it, is, it is methamphetamines. We, we do that. So. Wow. <laughs> None Indeed. of the leftover stuff. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's, there's, no, there's sometimes leftover coffee, but there's never leftover cocaine. Crow's not with us tonight, though. He, uh, he didn't have any leftover cocaine. He crashed out. Yeah. <laughs> we should probably stop talking about that before somebody gets the wrong idea. Yeah, that, right? <laughs> it's just a joke, folks. We don't do coke. Drugs are bad, okay? <laughs> Kids, don't do drugs. So anyway, let's just get that out of the way. Uh, definitely, if you can make it, come to Flattoberfest. Uh as everybody knows, I'm, I'm a very objective individual. I look at things right down the middle. So my presentation is not going to try and convince you of the nature of reality. It's more to talk about my favorite subject, which is social engineering and how things are done in our society to convince you of a certain way of things. Uh, my, my favorite target, of course, is Mr. Edward L. Bernays, who really wrote the book for the most of this stuff. And oh my God, that man really nailed it in that, starting in the 1920s. Yes, he did. And boy, he was a prolific writer, too. I just found some more, uh, actually, of his uh, documents and his books and stuff he wrote that I was mm -hmm. unaware even existed. So I'll have to share those with you later. You may already have them, though. I mean, I know you dug in deep on Bernays. Yeah, we've done two episodes on him. The second one, I really went in much deeper than I did the first time. I, I just didn't realize at first just how <laughs> how much damage that guy did and, and everybody from that point, because you, you got to think about it, society was a little more naive when you're talking about all the way back 20s, 30s, even the 40s. You know, things just were different then. And uh, he, he picked up on that. Very, very smart man. Uh, very well read. Uh, took his uncle, Uncle Siggy, Uncle Sigmund Freud, uh, took his work and reapplied it towards uh, essentially propaganda. But since that started having a negative connotation, he rebranded it as public relations and Everyone was off to the races because even NASA has a public relations department, don't they? Indeed, so does the CDC. And according to their public relations, it's necessary to wear a mask. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> you, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's what their marketing department's pushing. So there you go. Edward Bernays, he was the father of marketing, father of public relations, all of that stuff. So he's, even, he's one of the key social engineers that there ever was. Even public relations began to take on a negative connotation such that now government agencies are prohibited from having public relations uh, employment. They now call it a public information officer. So. And that's interesting to know because if you let government officials go and you know do their own thing, they'll wind up with two old men on stage shouting at each other on national television. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that was a shit show. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that later. I watched very little of that, and I was just like, "Huh." Uh, my my takeaway from it was that it seemed like Trump just wanted to beat down the old man who uh, really just isn't in his right right state of mind anymore. I mean, he seems like he's got some senility going on there. Sad to say, even though he's kind or of a prick, something. And yeah. um, 
I think I think uh, the, the the Donald just uh, hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him until he couldn't take anymore, and then he just was like, "Okay, I'm done now." I'm, I think I'm about to uh, not to sidetrack thing, but I think I'm about to start a, <clears throat> a camp campaign hashtag abstain uh, for those who, unlike uh, most of us in this community, realize it's just all you know, it's puppetry. It's a puppet show. It is, absolutely. Uh, and you know, WWE wrestling in different suits. But uh, for those who uh, are out there in the you know, quote normie world, the uh, wool wearing folks. Uh, just kind of want to throw out the idea of abstaining. It's like, do you, do you, you know, the only reason people are voting for Biden is because they hate Trump, and the only reason our people are voting for Trump is because they don't want the left to have the influence. So they're voting against rather than for. Uh, and this is again evidence that they're just uh, saying this is all you get to choose from. Uh, this is the best that uh, we can offer. And uh, if people just said, no, we abstain, we're not, we're not going to uh, consent to that. That's bullshit. Uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, a few people uh, might might get it. I, I doubt it because most of them are true believers. But I think I can make some compelling arguments that uh, what they're <laughs> voting for uh, is not what they, they would want. They're simply voting uh, against someone else. Well, I'll tell you, I always like what Jordan Maxwell said. You might get to elect, but you don't get to select. But when it comes yeah. to the presidency, that's just a popularity contest because as you'll hear me say over and over and over again, you don't vote for the president, folks. The Electoral College nope. does. So watch it, the clown show as much as you like. It doesn't freaking matter. It has seemed to me for many years that the, the primary political platform of uh, both parties is simply to prove the other unfit to hold office. <laughs> and in that one respect, they're both um, remarkably accurate. Well, uh, yeah, well, this is true. <laughs> Is there anything else we yeah. want to talk about while you're here, Steve? Uh, you're welcome to contribute before we, we're going to go over a document. But uh, while you're here visiting, I, I want to make sure you can uh, well get a few points in here. Yeah. Uh, um, well, as far as the mainstream media, at, at this point, you know, in, in, with the false flags that we've seen in the past, at this point, they can make anything seem like anything. So I don't know how it's how you, how it can change anyway. Not not change, but. Uh, they can keep making it be whatever they want it to be. Right. And, and well, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Right. Well, as we've talked about so many times, since they control things from the top down, like five or six corporations are just pushing out the orders. Like, okay, this is this is the commandment today. Right. Put, put this out. And then it trickles down through the through the pyramid and everybody gets to it. And uh, as, as Crow and I have demonstrated, these, these big organizations, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, uh, PR Newswire and Businesswire and all them, they make the prepackaged things in this digital age where everything just goes out to the individual's news stations and it gets read in the local flavors. So, you know, exactly. Yep. If you're in Mississippi, you get Hee Haw. If you're in uh, Seattle, you get the Great Baldini, you know? Mm. <laughs> 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 oh dear. Well, one thing, oh, oh my. I, I think one oh thing that's changed too is, you know, you were talking about uh, Bernays and propaganda in the past. People were uh, more trusting of the government, the belief in authority. But now, especially after 9 11 and everything that we've seen, there's more people at least knowing that there's something not quite right. They're questioning. Yeah. yeah well, I, would, I would submit that no one is less free <laughs> than whoever sits in that office. They're beholden to. Uh, everyone and at a very you know high level and with high risks so <laughs> i think they're they're probably one of the least powerful people instead of the most powerful you, you gotta wonder like what kind of phone calls do they get on a regular basis you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's got to be you know pretty interesting stuff that they get the phone calls about because what you really need to understand anybody in that position president of the united states uh, prime minister of england or whatever this this major office is they really, first of all, don't hold any real power. They're just a figurehead. 
it's it's a, a position they're put in and they go there willfully of their own free will as the willing scapegoat see they're there just to deflect uh all of the people's anger and all their their different animosity towards government onto this one figure so that's what it's for they're the scapegoat that's what they're up there it's it's a really kind of a, a metaphysical type of a concept but uh that's what it's for. So Trump has done a bang up job of being the scapegoat here, uh, you know, more so than other presidents I've seen in the past. Couple I, of I Trump, contend so. that that was his entire role. That's exactly the Absolutely. role that he's, he's playing. That the, the media is playing the part of the uh, and the left is playing the part of controllers. And then they uh, they position the right as anything that they don't want and then make a buffoon out of it. So they, they turn it into a proxy punching bag or a pinata. And so Trump uh, is designed to represent anything that is uh, anti, uh, you know, so Trump represents the buffoon. The left represents uh, the educated, uh, you know, uh, intellectual intelligentsia. Hmm. Uh, and this is where we want to go. Uh, and uh, anything other than that is hogwash and trailer trash. Uh, so that's how they that's how they position it. Uh, so anything uh, right of hard left is uh, considered, you know, right wing Nazi, uh, white supremacist. It's it, that's how they've put it together. Uh, so Trump has played this role from the very beginning. At first, I was uh, surprised that they put him in rather than HRC, and uh, then it became very clear right away that he was going to be that proxy punching bag, and they were going to uh, just conflate everything. Um, you know, again, the, you see it all the time. Oh, you're Trump supporter, you're right wing, you know, uh, hate group, KKK. Uh, it's again, it's nonsense. It's, but that's how they're positioning it uh, to to again, just it's a false equivalency and an easy straw man to burn down. Well, let's just talk about the divide and conquer that has gone on just since Donald Trump has become president. I mean, there's always been a right versus left, blue versus red kind of nonsense going on. But never have I seen to the level the polarization. Yeah, I, the, I mean, to the point that literally people hate Donald Trump just because and they can't even give me reasons most of the time. They uh, TDS is a real it. thing, but it's driven. It's driven entirely by by the media. And uh, I see it uh, clearly, you know, again, every day when the uh, media comes out with something just like the tax returns. Uh, I knew that, the you know, 10 people on social media that I know who would immediately be the first on it. And they got, you know, they pile on they, and they're crazy. I mean, <laughs> I gotta <laughs> say, it's just it, it, and what they just repeat the talking points. Uh, you know, regurgitate them, spit them out, and so, and I just you know I was thinking about it earlier today. It's like, you know, what? How much does that any of that affect? I mean, I'm you know fifty, almost fifty four, uh, and the presidential politics uh, literally has not affected me maybe three times in my in my entire life uh, other than uh, again when you believe in it right then, then you get upset about it or you have thoughts and opinions about it and now people are crazy about it like literally crying screaming going on fits hating other people losing family members disowning people uh, over their their politics when it uh, it has nothing to do with them and and those people wouldn't take a, a steaming dump on you um you know, <laughs> they don't care about anything. It will and take some all tax the same, off you, though. Exactly. They're all on the same team, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we all know this. I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, again, if we if we just ignored that, that's my whole kind of point with the abstain thing, uh, is take, take care of your life and uh, you around you. Other than local politics, which is probably the only place they count the votes, uh, abstain from it. Otherwise, you're consenting to whatever they give you. Uh, and it's been proven over and over again in the last 150 years, almost every move from uh, the federal government has been diametrically opposed from the will of the people in every case. Uh, so 
you know, clearly they're not doing anything for us. Uh, they just keep making uh, promise after promise. Well, I mean, we all know this is nonsense, political bullshit, but people get really uh, tied up in it, right? So it's more than just their favorite sports ball team, right? And you see people cry or have, uh, you know, get uh, excited or have riots in cities when their team wins or loses. Uh, again, it's just an emotional My team, construct. Us, we won. Exactly, exactly, we. And so, again, we it just it. be. Exactly. And what's more is that we has become and the polarization has become so tight that you're not allowed to have any uh, diverting uh, opinion whatsoever. Uh, so that you can't be, for example, on the left and have any thoughts about uh, Harris and her position on, um, you know, law enforcement uh, or crime and punishment or, um, you know, uh, prisons, for-profit prisons. You can't have an opinion on that. You can't have a dissenting opinion on abortion or even um, the right to, to bear arms. You're not allowed to have any opinion that doesn't uh, follow that line or you get kicked out. Uh, and so uh, they have to stay in. It's very, again, it's very cult-like. It's very much like what I observed in the, uh, again, not to step in anybody's thing, but uh, what I observed in Salt Lake City when I lived there is the, with the Mormon religion, uh, people who um, leave lose everything, their family, their job, mm -hmm. uh, they're completely become outcast and a pariah in their community. And it's the same way with this politics now. Uh, you cannot have a dissenting opinion or you get the boot. Uh, and people cannot have uh, a logical, calm, uh, you know, d d um, detached uh, conversation uh, about really anything, uh, or it just becomes you know hatred. They they start there now. Nazi. <laughs> it's yeah, man. It's, it's all phenomenal about the emotions. Watch, really. yeah. All about the emotions with all of it. That's well, those are emotion it's, words. It's, it's just right. like, like what yep. hot button can I hit to get someone triggered, basically. But here, here's the thing: you know, before we get off, Rose this, and I. Yeah, go ahead. The, the divide and conquer is so good at this point. Like this is what's happened just in the past few years. There's, they've gotten so good and the mainstream media has done so much damage that they've literally tried to convince people that racism and sexism is an issue in 2020 like it's 1955. Oh yeah, they're acting like the KKK is around every corner. Well, every that corner. they act like every white male is not only a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan, but they're right. also massive uh, against Misogynists every... and rapists and yeah, yeah exactly. Misogynists beyond Toxic all belief. Toxic masculinity. They, they want yes, the boot on every woman. They should be in the kitchen and they should should not have free thought or shouldn't even vote. Like, like this is ridiculous. It's 2020, folks. And the mainstream media is trying to convince you that these things that were resolved decades and decades ago are current issues. And if you just take a poll of the people around you, you realize nobody feels that way. And the very, very minor few that are like, you still will find the occasional racist and they're usually 90. You know, so what? They're so they're an ignoramus. Those people are going to die off, and that's the end of it. Most people yeah. do not give a flip what your religion is, what color you are, what sex you are, uh, if you happen to be a, a member of of, an, of LGBTQ. Like nobody cares about any of that stuff. Nobody freaking cares. For the most part, yeah. Uh, other than you have to consent to it and support it, uh, you know. So again, if I don't go out and march in support of it, then oh, you hate it. <laughs> but that's bringing it. That, that's the tactic to keep making it like it's an issue. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's not it's an issue if you don't tactic. have to bring up, like, this will be the first black female astronaut. Okay, right, yeah. how about she's just the next astronaut? Like, come on. And they've like, made 
they've made you know uh, cisgender males, <laughs> right, a bad thing. So if you're a straight uh, male, you are the worst thing around. Uh, and again, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, uh, those are the first people who usually are going to come uh, protect you and fight for your liberties. Uh, so you, you know, again, it it does seem like they're just trying to break down um, not only masculinity but uh, but femininity as well by uh, with again the what's you know oh feminism. Right. Well, we all believe in women, but the idea that uh, men are supposed to or women are supposed to behave like men, that's not healthy for anybody. <laughs> they should behave well, no. like women because women are awesome. <laughs> right. Women should be women. Period. I love women. Women should I be mean, women. Men should be men. Yes. And that's the whole universal balance. The black, the white, like all these things. I don't, I don't think I Polarity. need to spell this out for people. You know exactly. that two people who are good for each other. It works because they are different. Jason sounds like a boomer. Well, I'm not that old. Sorry. <laughs> okay, boomer. All right, We're the same Get age. Off <laughs> Get off my lawn. Oh, man. It's, what, what, people, what you need to understand about all that, though, is all these things, the, uh, the whole gender differences and stuff like that, that's all on the chopping block right now because it's all part of the transhumanist uh, agenda, and that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. That's what this, uh, this paper that we're going to read is about. Well, as so, I've said so many times, yeah. how many times do the transhumanists kind of seem to be pushing towards the fact that it's not going to be male or female or anything. It's going to be humanity plus. But even mm -hmm. after that, it's going to be we're just a bunch of its. We're going to be part of the Internet of Things, the Internet of Bodies. All these things are going to be integrated, intertwined yep. and communicated yes, with, with a, a, a digital network that uh, you can't get out of if you want to. Resistance. Precisely. <laughs> you will be assimilated. Got anything to say on that, Steve, before we move on? Yeah, I, I've been saying, you remember uh, Matrix when uh, Neo woke up mm -hmm. in his energy pod? Yep. That's that's where we're going. Isn't that scary? <laughs> well, that's, that's where they want us to go. Right. Yeah. Um, no, it, it's amazing. Yeah, and like you said, the, when you look out in society, um, it, it, it's not reflective of what you see on uh, in the media. Not at all. No. And, and everybody's cool. But they've got a plan, and they're following the agenda. And uh, they're they're treating us like how they think of us, and um, you know, like we were talking earlier, people are settling for scraps from the table. Yep, there you go. And we have the uh, potential to be spiritual butterflies, and uh, so uh, we need to stick to basics, get the basics right, get our foundation, and each one of us has our God-given gifts that we need to um, build and uh, realize and feed back into the community. So just like uh, some people say, you know, we need to outgrow the government. Well, you know, humanity needs to um, stop believing in authority or false authority and uh, grow up, take responsibility and uh, um, just get in there and you know do what we're supposed to be doing, and we are doing it. Um, you know, it's like you know Edison and the light bulb. However many times it took him to to you know get it right, if he did. But you know, you, you never know how close you are. We have to keep doing what we're doing and pushing. And uh, uh, we're we're you know we're still in the middle of a fight, but but you know we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. I, I have. Uh, you know, Freeman's got a good message. You know, he has faith in humanity, and so, uh, um, yeah, it's 
we're, we're close. We're close. We just have to keep working. Is there anything you want to say about Freeman, by the way, before we move on to actually start working on the document we're on tonight? You're, you're welcome um, to talk about anything he's got coming up. Because uh, if anyone didn't, didn't understand, he Steve does all the production for him, so he books his guests. Uh, he basically gets the show ball rolling right. to get that all going. And uh, he had, so basically he is uh, Freeman's Rose. Because that's what she does for Crow and myself. Right, exactly. Um, I love Freeman. I, I've known him for since 2014. And uh, he's great. He's going to be there at uh, Flattoberfest, mm -hmm. and we'll be hanging out there. And so he's he's really excited to see everybody. And uh, you know, oh, I didn't even plug it. I I, I just did a, a show with him, James True, Karen B, and myself. Oh, that's right. Did that? I completely forgot I we did that. That, that, that was, was uh, just a couple of days ago. Yeah, uh, that just got released last Saturday. So last yeah, it was Saturday. a week ago. Yeah, FreemanTV.com. Yeah, and that was great. Now I know Freeman isn't uh, super into flat Earth, but he's he's curious about the phenomenon because right. as we were talking about in my house a little mm -hmm. while ago that this is like something that's really building and building and building and mm -hmm. I, again I'm not like the most dedicated flat earth person I just see a whole bunch of things wrong that I want answers to so I approach it from that standpoint but there are a lot of people who are very convinced that there is direct evidence that the place we live is not as described uh, that's even how Crow says it he says this the earth is misdescribed or the place we live is misdescribed and uh, there's a very good possibility that's true I, I i don't know i would love to have more evidence to seal it in my mind but uh freeman's getting curious about it because he's seeing the same thing that that of course i saw over the past few years and that that what would you call it that that genre of the truth movement is growing very 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 quickly yeah um at least gives us a, a foothold i mean we know that we're being lied to but that's um yeah it, it, it's it's nice that that, that community is growing, and um, you know I, it, I, I you know who knows I, I don't know if it is or not, but um, it, it, it's great information, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing you and the other presenters. Um, what was I going to say? Um, ah, I lost it. <laughs> well, as far as what I'm going to contribute to to the uh, to the presentation, uh, mine is going to be showing how. Early on, actually, in the 20th century especially, that the concept of manned spaceflight was being injected in a huge way, long before anything was supposedly going on, into general Western culture. And mm. I am even surprised with how much I found. Like, I knew there was stuff out there, but I'm talking about, like, man, they really got on this early. Uh, like, shortly after the whole... Operation Paperclip, Werner von Braun, they got all the VU-2 rockets, they got all that over there. They started plugging that stuff into people that rockets, space, like all of that, all that all that was going on. And uh, I hope everybody's going to enjoy it because you're, you're going to see just how much, well, I don't even know if you, would you call it propaganda? I mean, it's just, it's social engineering. Their program, whether it's true or not, they went way out of their way for a very long time to put it in your head that manned space travel is a thing. Yeah. It's not, it's not even just about the, with the NASA and the space stuff. You go back and listen to it or watch any of the old uh, TV shows or anything, and you, I mean, now you can see it, the, the predictive programming and mm -hmm. everything. Uh, and I'm starting to think that, I don't know if it started with John D or how far back exactly, but I think this, this whole thing has been planned out, you know, from start to finish a long time ago. I think that's true. I think from what I've noticed that around the 1800s, like later 1800s is when they really started figuring out right. what was going to happen in the next right. century-ish. And like, like the world wars and all that. And I, I think they had a grasp on the concept that technology was going to start jumping. Mm -hmm. um, 
it just it, it just seems like that they had enough pieces in place that that could happen. But uh, Wayne or Baldini, got anything you want to chime in on that before we move on? I'm a geometric agnostic. I tend to remain pretty level-headed about the whole thing. Yeah, I'm just one of those folks that uh, I, I recognize that uh, we're not being told the truth about where it is that we exist. Uh, as far as some of the other properties of this place, uh, they line up with a couple different possibilities, uh, depending on uh, what kind of a viewpoint or a stance you take from it. I mean, you could mathematically prove or disprove either one of the models, the globe model or the flat earth model. Uh, you know, you, there's that's the whole thing. Uh, our science, I would go a step further, even from saying that our world is misdescribed to us, even our entire way of science, our methods of science are misdescribed to us. The way that they describe things and explain this modern day science, it's totally it works totally different from how they tell you, okay? But uh, some of the effects and stuff that we see from it are real effects. And, you know, they these things work a certain way, but they don't exactly know how. Or if they do, they're not telling you the correct way how. But they use the mathematic equations to make it line up uh, with the model that they want to present to you. And that's the thing. Most scientists anymore are basically mathematicians. And that's that's where it comes from. They do everything with, right. They do everything with the math to make it line up to what their worldview is, rather than go where the evidence takes them. I mean, experimentation and uh, true scientific method have not been followed now for many decades. For many and a lot decades. Of things, so no, that, you're going to get the thing. results. And that's the very definition of pseudoscience, get. right? Let's, let's get this absolutely. very clear. When it comes to uh, math and magic, I mean, remind me sometime to bring. I got a, a standard quadratic equation. I can prove any number equal to any other number. <laughs> if you that? do it, if you do it longhand on paper, uh, it's you can prove any number is uh, is equal to any other number. Uh, and it, right. <laughs> you know, it drove me crazy when I was in, uh, you know, uh, high school, <laughs> until I figured it out. Right? I was like, oh no! <laughs> You're like, wait a second. I can exactly I can cross multiply to- everything and make it work. Yeah, that's exactly. Thing, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what they did. And this picked up in the mid to late 1800s. Like you said, all of these things line up with that timeline. And that's when they started misdescribing how the science works is in that time frame, because that's about the same time uh, where, you know, if you look at physics as an example, they, they always looked at an ether model of how physics works. And they started to shift away from that towards things like uh, relativity coming up in, I think it was 1903, I think is when Einstein uh, came up with that, or 1901, yeah, I forget now. he published it in 14, but, or it became accepted. Yeah, but he rambler, started yeah. working on it back, yeah, exactly. back yep. then. But mm-hmm. at any rate, that's that's neither here nor there, but you could see how it's they all started relative. to shift <laughs> Right, right. Just like uh, where I live here in Knox, and it's all relative. No, oh, I'm my. Just, I'm just, oh, my. Go, go. <laughs> but uh, any, anyway, uh, the whole point I'm making is this is when they started to really misdescribe how these scientific things work, how they operate. And this is also the same time where we see a shift in the dynamic of the things they were trying to achieve through science. This is where things like eugenics spring up and Darwinian evolution, dinosaurs, all of this stuff mm-hmm. comes to fruition right in that same time frame. So I'm thinking that's when there was a, a big step forward when they realized, okay, uh, we could start planning uh, on some of these different technological type advances but this is how we want to steer it because sure. it's always it's all the same controlling factions at the 
the top of the the power structure even back then it's all these uh quote unquote royal bloodlines or whatever that sure. they want to claim New that bloods. they are and it does are, seem yeah. it does seem you know from uh, again from an overview the sort of the 50,000 foot view that it's not just um, one aspect but nearly every aspect of this world has been uh, misdescribed or um <laughs> completely um deceived about so from the historical timeline uh, to uh, science, right, to uh, our worldview and our cosmology. Uh, it seems like everything has been uh, a lie, you know, and, and so uh, to, to that end, and again, over multi-generational. I mean, and they, most of them use exactly the same uh, the same uh, methodology, uh, the old, you know, uh, stage mat magician, right? It's, it's misdirection. Uh, so exactly the same thing as you were saying, Wayne, with, uh, with the scientific method. You, you demonstrate the scientific method as being, uh, you know, it's a, it's a very specific process that proves cause and effect. Uh, by using by, by using experiments. Oh, hello. Oh, and so you use those experiments that have dem demonstrable. Um, it hey, carry it for a second there, gentlemen. Yep. Okay. So uh, yeah. So they use um, they use the scientific method to demonstrate empirical uh, empirically uh, proven cause and effect. And so once you, they get everybody kind of nodding about that and saying yes, that's uh, that's proves things. And then they just start slipping in all the nonsense. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Classic sleight of hand, David Barsky. It's exactly uh, what it is. It's the sleight of hand. Hey, look over here. Right. And um, <laughs> right. Yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, they started, like I said, it's amazing how it lines up with that time frame. Jason, be... it all started. <laughs> and it's Helpful if you'd mute the mic while you're having that conversation. Uh, well, I did to the uh, to the live stream. So. Oh, okay. No, it, yeah, it just help us though. It wasn't helping us. It's Sorry, like I always forget that there's two mutes I got to hit. But I just want to see what what Steve's plans were because uh, he he was planning on stopping by and visiting. He's welcome to stay as long as he wants. But uh, I think he's gonna jet. So yeah, I gotta get some rest. Right. He's gotta well, get some rest. Yeah, man. Yeah, this was a Thanks real for treat. Thanks for stopping by, dude. Yeah, on, uh, the, we appreciate you, man. Uh, uh, you're welcome. Uh, it's an honor being here. And, Pleasure meeting uh, you. Wayne, we've had you on uh, with, on the Free Zone and Baldini. Um, got to get him on. Got to get got to get you on sometime too. Love you at any time. Yep, yep. Thanks. Just get get my email from from Jason. Get my contact info. Okay. I'd be happy yeah. to uh, anytime. All right. Make that happen. All right, guys, we'll do. Gentlemen, uh, carry this for night. five minutes for me. I'll be right back. Sounds good. Don't forget to mute your mic. <laughs> oh, that choice of live radio here. Oh, you know? indeed. I love it. It is wonderful. Yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah, at some point, we'll get to this document. Though, we, we, but, uh, we will. At, at some point. Uh, well, I think, the, again, the, the overview, if you kind of look at this, uh, it all goes back to, I, I think let's dovetail. One of the things we can dovetail with this document is the conversation that we were just having, is that this has been uh, the foundations of this and what we would call predictive programming have been laid a very, very long time ago. And the idea of uh, robotics, uh, human transhumanism, uh, the integration of humans and machine, uh, even the presentation of the idea of uh, humans as as a machine, not only physically, uh, but uh, the mind being a computer, which again, it's, it's a terrible misdescription. It's not that way at all. Uh, and then uh, once they, uh, you know, kind of firm up and concrete that idea in the public mind and, and make a meme out of it, uh, it becomes an easy jump, uh, a leap of logic to, to simply add on, oh, well, if your brain looks works like a computer, let's add uh, a super chip to, uh, processor to it and give you Wi-Fi and <laughs> there, there you go.
Thomas, yeah, because, uh, my wife would say that I am uh, a polar bear. <laughs> I am hideously white and very melanin challenged, uh, to use a more politically uh, correct term. But I, I am uh, smooth on top. That's <laughs> and carpet matches the drapes. Wait, no, it's, <laughs> it's a hardwood. Oh boy. Okay. There you go. Um, so we got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, so this whole uh, thing combined with, uh, as Wayne always talks about, uh, cybernetics, right, which we uh, often equate. It's it's a bit of semantic drift, but uh, we equate that with the idea of robotics. But it's not really. Again, cybernetics, the, uh, the etymology comes directly from piloting a ship that you're in control. It's a controlled feedback loop. Uh, it's exactly what we see with um programming and uh, the engineering of society with things like the Tavistock Institute and the Rand Corporation uh, is that they test uh, they test these ideas uh, and then they um, review the results and come back and keep doing it in a feedback loop. Uh, so, you know, that's uh, exactly what we see with the data that's been extracted through social engineering platforms, through you carrying your phone around, all this stuff and everything that's been compromised, all the data that gets uh, sourced to the NSA, uh, and they process it all, put it into supercomputers and run simulations on you, on every uh, living being uh, on this earth. Uh, and uh, they come up with simulations and run several at the same time and essentially not only try to predict, but uh, to program you uh, to an emotional response, just like we were talking about with the polarization of society and people immediately reacting, not responding. As soon as they give you uh, an emotional response, I mean, this is what we cover the Poppycock Report, Rose and I, uh, every uh, Tuesday and Thursday, is you can look at the headlines and see just the headlines created to create an emotional response. You don't have to read the article. It's designed to make you feel a certain way. And often when you go and look at the at the article, it's poorly written, but the the, uh, the actual data is different. Uh, the story is different, even what the headline is. It's what we would call clickbait. Uh, but the idea is simply to get an emotional re reaction from you where you cannot um, have a thoughtful response. And you should be aware of that anytime you have an emotional reaction uh, to this, right? It's um, it's, a, it's just a, consider, for example, the uh, the Floyd incident, right? The moment I saw that, I knew that the, um, it was probably in question because it created such a strong emotional reaction. It was uh, clearly designed to do that. Uh, so that people have this emotional response. Once they, once they get you in an emotional uh, reaction where you cannot really think, it, you're done, <laughs> right? And most, and so my wife and I were talking about this this morning, as a matter of fact, on the idea that most decisions that people make are entirely emotionally based. Every bit of logic they throw at it uh, is simply confirmation bias. It, bias. It's just to justify why they did a certain thing. Uh, so they have to have um, justification for what they did, but almost every uh, decision from purchasing to um, relationships, every decision really is an emotional decision. Indeed, and that's uh, kind of something they've gotten really good at doing is uh, knowing what is going to be your emotional trigger and uh, yep. actually tailoring that to you. Uh, you can see that with social media, the things that come across your, your say, your Facebook timeline or whatever, the things that you'll see. They're the skewed all algorithms? To, yeah, they're <laughs> also designed to invoke a certain specific emotional response from you, and uh, it's used sure. to further separate us cause division first of all and uh you know put us into our our own little peer groups and our own little private echo chambers and that's kind of what happened with social media it's it's amazing if you look you'll notice that you see the same posts from you know the same few people all the time it's it separates you out it shows you what it thinks you should see or you want to see or that it wants you to see and that's what you get so, and you could tell if if you were to look through somebody else's feed, 
theirs would be totally different. If, Very you know. different. Yes. Yeah. So I even have different accounts that are different based yeah. on I try I behave a little bit differently with both accounts and so uh, the feed is completely different even though many of the friends are are the same. Is that uh, and I know that, that that that's like the most telling thing right there that they're literally yeah. tailoring it to whatever you're giving them. Absolutely. Scary, what's, really. What's funny, in, I mean, it's actually funny to me, is that some of the ads that I get in social media, they're supposed to be, you know, tailored to you. I mean, they know everything about me, right? So everything from what I eat because of my purchasing habits and what, you know, what I buy and when I poop. I mean, they know everything <laughs> about me. Uh, and and yet you'd think some of the some of the ads seem to be trolling me, right? Like things that I would absolutely never like. You know, hey, you want a mask? You want a fashion mask? No, vote <laughs> Joe do Biden. I not want a fashion mask. Uh, you know, and a number of different things, right? That I would just absolutely not uh, be into. But it's like they're trolling me. It's it's actually really kind of amusing. And my wife and I will we joke all the time. We'll talk um, to our devices uh, to the NSA guy on the other line. Uh, and just go, I, I know they're sitting there on the other end going, oh, God, what fresh new hell is this? <laughs> These people. <laughs> and we're, we're pretty convinced that they give uh, people uh, our account for uh, if they're in detention. Right. They screwed it's up. It's the digital and, uh, devil. Now they have to. Yes. They got to listen to us. But yes, we. <laughs> the digital devil <laughs> is sitting on the other side going, <laughs> exactly. you want a mask? <laughs> right. Exactly. So we have fun with it. Well, that's what you got to do, because maybe that way we can break the algorithms. <laughs> I, I continue to say that, that I, I don't think, um, on the series note, I, I don't think that they're programmed to handle um, genuine uh, love and connection with uh, the, the universe. I don't think they're, they're not programmed to receive, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so I think it breaks the matrix. When you, um, when you are in connection with the, cre the creation and the creator and you behave from a genuine place and not responding to the program, it fucks it up. And um, <laughs> it, it's amusing to me. But, but people don't know how to handle it often, right? They don't know what to do with genuine humanity. Uh, and when you're honest and transparent and direct with them, um, they, they genuinely don't know how to handle it. Uh, that's because everything thrown at them all day long is a lie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, everything that comes out of their TV or that uh, device that they have, their cell phone. And their, every, own, their own social media page, right, is, yep. is a PR uh, version of their of their life. It's not genuine. So, uh, and, and even again, people do it uh, in person. And, and you know, they they always tailor everything for uh, to to make the best impression. They don't want to offend people. And they use the uh, you know the politically correct uh, words for things. Uh, again, uh, one of the most hated things you can do these days is to tell the truth. And again, I just try to speak the truth. You know, in love. And um, some people accept it, and others do not. <laughs> but it's a, it's an interesting litmus test that's for certain by the way i wasn't really watching the chats at all so if anybody was trying to ask me anything i'm sure i didn't catch it so uh if there's anything you need me to address lots of questions all... about your hair oh i use monate and i'm going to be doing a video with uh, uh rose and i have a mutual friend named kelsey uh who introduced me to the whole thing Are you and gonna we're going to get your hair sponsored dude that is yep. awesome isn't it <laughs> <laughs> i love it that is awesome. I, it, man, I'll tell you, That's the stuff is pricey, and I'll never doubt that, but goddamn, this stuff works. I mean, it really restored my hair to, like, this is why I'm on about it so much. Like, my hair, I'm, I mean, I'm 47. Like, my hair was starting to, to show its age. I've had long hair since I was 17, and this stuff in, like, it took a few months. I don't even know exactly how long, but I, I did it exactly the way you're supposed to do it, and by God, my hair's really friggin' healthy again. So, yeah, I, I should get, it is what I it is. A sponsorship from razor blades those things are freaking expensive man. they are like <laughs> maybe maybe harry's or oh dollar shave God. club yeah. <laughs> 
But anyway, all right. So let's uh, let's let's dig into this. To the brain. Whole brain Mind, emulation, uh, a roadmap. Fe- uh, the future of humanity institute, Oxford GPS University. Does not work on my on my brain map. I promise. <laughs> Several rogue close signs. All right, so let's jump down here. Uh, whole brain emulation, or WBE, the possible future one-to-one modeling of the function of the human brain, is academically interesting and important for several reasons. One is research, obviously. Brain emulation is the logical endpoint of computational neuroscience's attempt to accurately model neurons and brain systems. Brain emulation would help us to understand the brain, both in the lead-up to successful emulation and afterwards, by providing an ideal testbed for neuroscientific experimentation and study. Neuromorphic engineering based on partial results would be useful in a number of applications such as pattern recognition, AI, and brain-computer interfaces. As a long-term research goal, it might be a strong vision to stimulate computational neuroscience. As a case of future studies, it represents a case where a radical future possibility can be examined in the light of current knowledge. So my immediate takeaway from this is that if they study the human brain more and get it better, then uh, they can immediately apply that to artificial intelligence systems to make them more powerful. That's my first thought on all this, but how about you guys? Yeah, that's my first thought too. But uh, my second thought is uh, AI and brain-computer interfaces they're talking about, BCI. This is They want to hook it to your brain. So they want your brain actually... uh, hooked to the the cloud so here you go you're being hooked up to the internet of things your your brain your mind your your thought processes the internet of thoughts we've talked about this before it's a real thing there's there's actual papers and stuff written about the uh, internet of thoughts it's in the planning phases i don't think um not in you know the the public domain do they have the technology ready for that yet but i suspect that uh, you know, in the behind-the-scenes black budget programs of the military-industrial complex, I'm sure they're pretty close at this point. So yeah. uh, you know, if if you want to look at it from that point of view, remember this paper we're going through was written in 2008, and this is actually two years after the sentient world simulation came online uh, at Purdue University. So that is something they, they've already been modeling uh, people's behaviors and emulating brain function two years before. Uh, this paper even came out. So, I mean, they're talking about things that were probably already underway for the past 10 years before that sure. uh, in this. So, you know, although, you, you're uh, looking at it. Although I think, um, you know, again, again considering, considering the um, uh, technology that we're looking at and the complexity of the human mind, the fact that we do not yet fully or even really well understand uh, both human consciousness as well as even memory function. We, we don't know yet uh, where the memory is stored. It does not even seem to be stored inside the brain. And there's all kinds of evidence that um, it's st- there are, you know, when people get uh, transplants of organs, they begin to have memories of the other person. So uh, I can I look at this probably in a darker way that if you uh, if, if you get in, get this idea out there that it's possible and you could store people's uh, memory uh, in a computer. Right. Uh, so similar to the idea 
that you're going to cryogenically freeze someone uh, and bring them back later when you have uh, a solution to their whatever problem, their illness. Uh, I, I think the idea here, if you wanted to you know, sell people on the idea that um, we're going to take um, you know, your Uncle Fred, who is a, a crazy conspiracy tinfoil hat guy. And, um, <laughs> he, he, and so what we're going to do is we're going to download his consciousness. We'll store him on this thumb drive uh, and then we'll, we'll build a body for him later and we'll reprogram him and, and bring him back. And if they can successfully demonstrate or at least um, you know, enough people who believe that there's a Tesla floating around in space uh, that would buy into this and uh, they could successfully do it, a lot of people would be more than okay with having loved ones um, you know, recycled uh, or <clears throat> – um, you know, ba bad things done. Simulated. Simulated. Yeah, I, I think that people would be much more open to the idea, even themselves, right? If they have some physical um, difficulty or they become paralyzed or something like that. Uh, here, we'll just, um, you know, we'll just take a, you know, a sample of your brain and we'll plug you in and give you a better body. And and people, uh, I think, would would believe that. Now, will will they do that? I don't know, but I, I do uh, think that transhumanism is part of a deception. And again, I would not accept any sort of technology uh, added uh, to, to my body or brain ever <laughs> ever um, so yeah I'm, I'm going I'm going to, the, to that long dirt nap if you try that because I ain't going there's a TV show based off of a set of novels called Altered Carbon that is basically mm -hmm. this concept I don't know if you guys have mm -hmm. ever seen it they're on the second season the first season was really good I actually watched it uh, started the second one didn't seem quite as interesting but the, this the basic concept is is this where uh, what do they call them stacks they called them stacks and it was an implant you get at birth in your neck in the back of your neck in your spinal cord and uh, your self your identity is constantly being uh, I guess copied or do they never really quite explain it but like you're going into that in some way shape or form and then that stack that that disc whatever it is can be removed and actually put in another body. Uh, and they have terms for all this crap. And it, it's very fascinating. It's very transhuman. Uh, they've got very realistic AIs that are basically people and things like that. So it's it's that kind of concept being pushed all over and over and over again. Yeah, and that's uh, more predictive programming because that's the kind of stuff that they have in mind with this. They, they want to be able to uh, digitally upload your consciousness into, uh, you know, the – the computer interface, like the internet, pretty much. Sure. And that way you could have multi-bodied existence or exist in different uh, virtual worlds, multi-world existence. Right. right. Like like Singularity, the movie, yeah. um, right, that idea. And they push, push that hard. And I know many people who um, love that idea. Uh, that, that they could um, turn turn off all the pain of uh, of their aging or hurting bodies and uh, simply be uploaded uh, into uh, the internet, right, and just live that way. Uh, I just don't think it works like that. No, but they're they're really you know, if you give somebody who has say an atheistic type of viewpoint or the hyper materialist viewpoint that mm -hmm. that they really push, and that's that's what social engineering is mostly geared toward is this this hyper materialist mentality where mm -hmm. every everything is the physical and everything that's here all the physical is all that there is so that that's kind of what they're pushing so they want you to think that your mind or your consciousness is simply a chemical byproduct of the electrical activity of your brain mm -hmm. yep so and that, they could duplicate that yeah. right and if they could duplicate that digitally then you could live forever and be immortal and be able to transcend uh, you know this the limitations of your body atheist and, heaven 
Yeah, precisely. <laughs> I think they're trying to convince people that you can have a digital soul, though. I mean, it's, and uh, the reason why I even called it that is I actually wrote a short story I submitted 15 years ago to a Doctor Who uh, it was like a collection or something, and I wrote a story called Digital Soul, and it was about the first time. Uh, and a, a robot in the Doctor Who universe where there is sentient AI. First, The first time one actually became sentient, the Doctor was defending him in a court. Uh, I didn't get chosen, though. But I th- I th- what's you that? wrote fan fiction? That's awesome. It, well, it was fan fiction that could have been official because it was part of... Uh, they were taking oh, a collection a of, of whomever they thought was the best, and I didn't get picked, and I, I thought my story was pretty good. No, I mean it is pretty good. Maybe it's a little too accurate because it seems again like they're pu- like they're pushing this from both sides. The idea of uh, artificial intelligence becoming sentient, uh, and uh, again this um, whole brain emulation, right, where they uh, they take your your spirit, your essence, uh, and digitize it. Well, that's what they're trying to convince us of here. So let's uh, let's keep on moving on. Keep here. on keeping on. Yeah. The next subject matter here is economics. The economic impact of copyable brains could be immense and could have profound scientific, uh, <clears throat> societal consequences. Even low probability events of such magnitude merit investigation. Next, individually. If emulation of particular brains is possible and affordable, and if concerns about individual identity can be met, such emulation would be would enable backup copies and digital immortality. Okay, well, that's what we just said. That's, that's the, sure. uh, the altered carbon that's concept. The goal. Yeah. Philosophy. Brain emulation would itself be a test of many ideas in the philosophy of mind and philosophy of identity, or provide a novel context for thinking about such ideas. It may re- represent a radical new form of human enhancement. Well, here we go again. That's all transhumanism to the to the T here. This is Zoltan Istvan uh, sprinkling sugar on his Cheerios. <clears throat> Sprinkles on turds. You know, I like the guy, <laughs> believe it or not. I mean, I don't agree with all all of what he he's pushing for, but I generally actually do like the dude. He's interesting. I yeah, have he, several he, friends that <laughs> that I like that I don't agree with. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> all right. Yeah, you could you could see what way they're trying to steer this whole conversation right there. And just as a little aside, if anybody's interested, up under the section where it says economics here, it talks about. Uh, the economic impact of copyable brains could be immense and could have profound social consequences. And then it cites their Hanson 1994 2008B. Um, if you actually go to my YouTube channel, Alchemical Tech Revolution, look for a uh, a speech there. It was a, a TED Talk uh, from this guy. His name's Robin Hanson. And he talks about this very thing, how uploading digital copies of your brain into the computer could create uh, this this internal digital world called the M world, E M world, this this emulate world that will uh, actually so greatly improve the, the production capacity of economies that it would surpass the the real world economy within two to three years. Second and then life after on that, steroids, right? And then and then beyond that, they're not sure what exactly would happen then. If the you know the citizens of this M world, these these digital copies of our own consciousness, would think of us as kind of an antiquated type thing, and uh, turn against us or not, so it's an interesting thing to think about. But this is you know another scenario where the artificial intelligence goes rogue, and uh, you know takes the best traits of a lot of us and puts them together 
into this this new economy, this economic engine that runs completely digitally. It creates a whole digital economy that surpasses the actual real-world economy. And that's kind of what that's talking about there. It's it's an interesting uh, thing to look at because this guy is actually – he's an economist. But uh, he, he got thinking about this whole idea, and he's actually done several – presentations and written several books about it and he's got some interesting views on things he's one of those that completely shuffles aside the ethical concerns and everything else and doesn't look at that (gasps) or the philosophical impact but you know he thinks this might be you know an interesting way things could go so (laughs) well there's a big difference between say uh, like a robocop scenario or ghost in the shell or uh... Anything like that where you're taking the human body and you're still leaving the brain pretty much intact, the brain, the spinal cord, like like the core of what makes the body function, it's still there. That's one thing. You're cybernizing the rest compared to copying data, for lack of a better term, of what's in the brain and just having that uploaded to a computer. Those are two different things. And I, I mean, I guess for atheists, it doesn't matter. You could have duplicates, right? Yeah, well, that that's the thing. It depends who you ask, because if they could actually use uh, different types of nanomaterials and use actual biological materials to reproduce uh, these things in a, in another form, you're not talking simply about just, you know, digital information. You, you, they could actually transcend uh, from one body to the next with this, per se, like a biological component. They're, they have the technologies to actually grow tissue and stuff like that and and do these kind of things. And I think it probably talks about that a little bit further down in the document too. So we should continue on here because uh, we've spent very little time on this show actually talking about the topic. I know, right? (laughs) All right. WBE represents a formidable engineering and research problem, yet one which appears to have a well-defined goal and could, it would seem, be be achieved by extrapolations of current technology. By the way, this document is... uh, uh, 20 years old? Somewhere around there? 2008, I think it was written. 2008? 2008. Okay. This is unlike many other suggested radically transformative technologies like artificial intelligence, where we do not have any clear metric of how far we are from success. In order to develop ideas about the feasibility of WBE, ground technology foresight, and stimulant independence, interdisciplinary exchange, the Future of Humanity Institute hosted a workshop on May 26th and 27th, 2007 in Oxford. Invited experts from areas such as computational neuroscience, brain scanning technology, computing, nanotechnology, and neurobiology presented their findings and discussed the possibilities, problems, and milestones that would have to be reached before WBE becomes feasible. The workshop avoided dealing with socioeconomic ramifications and with philosophical issues such as theory of mind, identity, or ethics. God forbid we have any ethics. While important, such discussions would undoubtedly benefit from a more comprehensive understanding of the brain, and it was this understanding that we wished to focus on furthering during the workshop. Such issues will likely be dealt with at future workshops. This document combines an earlier white paper that was circulated among workshop participants and additions suggested by those participants before, during, and after the workshop. It aims at providing a preliminary roadmap for WBE, sketching out key technologies that would need to be developed or refined and identifying key problems or uncertainties. Brain emulation is currently only a theoretical technology. This makes it vulnerable to speculation, hand-waving, and untestable claims. All right. I think that'll do for that part. So what do we want to go down to here? Untestable claims. That's a mouthful. I know, right? Yeah. 
Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A radical new form of human enhancement. <laughs> Indeed. If only yeah. somebody could come up with something like a brain implant where we can start getting communicating with computers. Or I wonder if they'll ever come up with something like that. Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. I, I wonder if they they would have something. Maybe you could, you know, just plug it into the side of your head. Like a neurological something. link. Yeah. Something oh, yeah. like that. A neural that link. We'll just call it a a neural link. That <laughs> sounds great. What a great idea. <laughs> Brilliant. You know right. how we could actually sell this thing? Let's do a demonstration where we show people pigs. Okay, that would be great. <laughs> three yeah, little pigs. Elon Musk in. Let's get Gotta have Musk. three little Everybody pigs. Everybody loves him. Yes, indeed. Elon, whose name actually, when you break down Elon, it's L and on. Uh, nothing <laughs> Masonic going on there. But Ooh. that's beside the point. Um, okay. And ne- and never mind uh, <laughs> that uh, Von Braun wrote a book about going to Mars where the leader was Elon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get down to the concept of brain emulation. Whole brain emulation, officially, often informally called uploading or downloading, has been the subject of much science fiction and also some preliminary studies for history and previous work. Or, uh, did I just skip a line? Has been the subject of much science fiction, also some preliminary studies. This basic idea is to take a particular brain, scan its structure in detail, and construct a software model of it that is so faithful to the original that when run on appropriate hardware, it will behave in essentially the same way as the original brain. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, gentlemen, didn't they do an estimation on just how much data a real brain and all of its memories and everything would actually need, and it was like some obscene amount? It's a shit ton, and and that's, um, again, based on their poor understanding. Uh, And every time, again, just like most things, every time you answer a question... There's 10 more difficult questions that come out of it. We, we have no idea, not only how consciousness works, how memory works. We have the faintest idea of how um, neuroscience at all works. Uh, it is th- This idea is uh, it, it's a, it's snake oil at best. Um, they, they can do a few, again, um, magic tricks and a few, uh, again, stage magic. It's nonsense. They're never, never, never going to have anything that is actually real. Uh, it may look real, uh, but I mean, I remember as a kid in the, in the 1970s, uh, I went to, uh, was it Expo 72, 76, maybe 72 in Spokane, Washington. It's a World's Fair. And uh, science was it was a big thing there. And they had, of course, you know, computers that were supposed to, you, you put, write your signature on a piece of paper and it goes through and it goes with all the flashy lights, right? It comes out and gives you this, like, personality assessment. And it's the same sort of cold reading uh, that they do, um, what's the guy's name that um, talks to the dead, right? <laughs> it's just, it's cold reading uh and and what much of um john edward the jackass there you go john (laughs) edwards right that's the guy and uh you know and i've seen the same sort of thing in um uh you know very charismatic christian circles that that do the prophetic thing it's a lot of a cold reading Uh, not to say there's not people that really doing that but but cold reading is is a big thing uh and it basically is that like what much of modern astrology is in the newspaper uh, it's it's very much like that it's sort of generic um, you know stuff you want to hear uh, but but you know they had a lot of people con- convinced right that, that computers were real smart in in 72 uh, <laughs> and it was clear is clearly a bunch of nonsense so as we move forward this idea as we've discussed over and over has been just depends on what tape there. they put on yeah exactly it, it, but it's funny <laughs> I mean <laughs> it's funny. Uh, and how? And, but what, I guess what's not funny is how easily people are duped, uh, and how badly they want to believe. 
Not only that, even though they may have some accurate physical descriptions of, uh, you know, some things that may go on in the brain or the body, that does not, first of all, equate consciousness or mind. So even if you're looking at it as being, you know, they, they have some physical understanding of how this stuff works and may be able to tap into that, it's still they don't understand the whole process of even like you said where memory is even stored they yeah. they still argue to this day that your brain is the thing where your memories are stored right well that doesn't necessarily demonstrably hold not true yeah they can't right. do it and i i mean i do don't get me wrong i do think it is possible with uh, using technology uh, to especially with an implanted technology to um, to put thoughts and uh, sounds in the person's head has been demonstrated. You can use microwaves uh, and a variety of different ways to to make your, uh, just even using acoustic Absolutely. technology to make the bones uh, in your head receive sound as though, uh, and you can't localize it because it's not coming in through your ears. It's coming in through uh, your, your body. And so you can't localize it. So to you, it seems like a voice in your head. Uh, and they've been doing that for, for years. You can d- demonstrably do that. So I, I don't. Many years. Yeah, so I don't dismiss at all the idea that you could take uh, technology and implant a chip like Neuralink uh, and introduce ideas and thoughts and um, do the whole uh, thing where they punish you, right? If you have wrong <laughs> think uh, or have, you know, intent. Uh, I mean, even South Park did a thing on this. Remember uh, Cartman? Uh, he, he got buzzed if he, <laughs> if he swore. This child right? has been implanted with the new V chip. <laughs> Barbara <laughs> 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 oh, oh dear. Um, so, yeah, that's um, <laughs> yeah. So again, anyway, I don't, I don't dismiss the idea that that can happen, uh, but but uh, they'll sell it under it being something very different. Yeah, but the the hubris of these jack wagons, they they really think they can figure this all out and really do this. <laughs> that that is. As hubristic as it gets, I yep. would say, in my Lab view. wizards, say, for sure. Yes, I, I understand the workings of the human brain and the human mind, and we can actually simulate that and build build it better than it was. Bring my creation to life! <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get down to emulation right. and simulation. The term emulation originates in computer science, where it denotes <clears throat> mimicking the function of a program or computer hardware by having its low-level functions simulated by another program. While a simulation mimics the outward results, an emulation mimics the internal casual dynamics, causal dynamics at some suitable level of description. The emulation is regarded as successful if the emulated system produces the same outward behavior and results as the original, possibly with a speed difference. This is somewhat softer than a strict mathematical definition. According to the church Turing thesis, a Turing machine can emulate any other Turing machine. The physical church Turing thesis claims that every physically computable function can be computed by a Turing machine. This is the basis for brain emulation. If brain activity is regarded as a function that is physically computed by brains, then it should be possible to compute it on a Turing machine. Hmm. Even if true, however, it does not demonstrate that it is a computationally feasible process. There's the ifs and the thens. Mm -hmm. If this is true, then this is a thing. See, here's the thing. They don't know, but they're pretending like they know. They put Mm -hmm. on the facade that they know what they're talking about. If, then... 
they don't have a clue. It's never really been scientifically shown through the scientific method. That's why they have to do this. They have to make a lot of assumptions in order for this to work. And that's why I tell, I say all the time, our science, the, the way we view science is misdescribed to us because this is it. They, they put all these assumptions in place and then they tailor the mathematics to meet those assumptions. And then they say, science, and throw their hands in the air. And you're a science denier if you don't believe them. Right. Because if you don't believe them, you're a racist. Yeah, a Nazi. <laughs> you racist Nazi science denier. Science denier. Anti-vaxxer. <laughs> Anti-vaxxer. I was just going to go there. Trump just going to go there. Oh, my gosh. Yes. In the following, emulation will refer to a one-to-one -one model where all relevant properties of a system exist, while a simulation will denote a model where only some properties exist. Emulations may behave differently from each other or the original due to noise or intrinsic chaos, but behave within the range of what one would expect from the original if it had experienced the same noise or chaos. By analogy with a software emulator, we can say that a brain emulator is software and possibly dedicated non-brain hardware that models the states and functional dynamics of a brain at a relatively fine-grained level of detail. In particular, a mind emulation is a brain emulator that is detailed and correct enough to produce the phenomenological effects of a mind. A person emulation is a mind emulation that emulates a particular mind. You know what? Is anyone familiar with the concept of amplifier modeling? I know Baldini mm -hmm. certainly will be. Yeah. Okay, so this stuff's been around since the late 90s is when they first started really messing around with it. Now, they've come a long, long way, but even still, they can't get that to the point that it's so good that you can't tell the difference. It's really close, mind you. Yeah, at, at first at first blush, it is. And I mean, all the way back to sampling of like any instrument, strings and stuff back in the, in the 90s. Uh, at first blush, it sounds pretty impressive, but as you you know, continue to do it. Obviously the, uh, the brain is really, really smart. Uh, and it knows instinctively that there's something just not quite right, <laughs> right about it. Right. For all the things like, for example, string samples, you, you miss the, uh, the movement of air in the room that you would get from Boeing, uh, and the, the tiny little differences, um, in the finger fretting position and, and, uh, pressure that's put on the strings. So those things. And the inaccuracies, um, that's the big thing. Exactly. There's inaccuracies the human, that would be in anything that yes, if you're doing digital. Touch. Well, they, they found that out early on with drum machines in the late 80s, right? They said, oh, you know, drummers always tend to drift a little bit uh, in their uh, in their rhythm, right? The old joke, how do you know when a drummer's at your door? Because the knock speed's up. <laughs> how, do you make, how, how do you make him go away? Pay him for the pizza. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the difference between a large pepperoni pizza and a drummer. Large pepperoni pizza can feed a family of four. But anyway, <laughs> that's, sorry, don't get me started. Anyway, um, but but we, we were like, oh, can't, can't we make a perfect drummer? Yeah, we'll make a drum machine until we realized how bad that actually sounds, right? It, it lacks feel altogether. Uh, and uh, then, you know, with the drum machine, what happens when you spill beer at the drum machine? It tries to sing. <laughs> no, here we go. It's you a, can tell he's been in bands a long time. Sure. <laughs> Believe me, I feel the same way. Drummers have uh, noticeably well, you, been a pain you, in the ass. Well, what does it mean when a drummer drools out both sides of his mouth? The stage is level. <laughs> oh, dear. What is it? Never mind. <laughs> what do you call a, a, a drummer without a girlfriend? Homeless? <laughs> yeah. How, how do you get a drummer's car to go faster? Yeah, like you know a drummer with a car. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got to stop.
All right. So um, anyway, but but yeah, the things that we do that are um, you know digitally perfect um, don't sound right, and and the same goes with uh, again going back to the music uh, idea that we do uh, you know digitally created music and uh, sequencing and that sort of stuff, and then again it sounds inhuman. It doesn't sound right. So now they have what's called groove quantization, uh, which basically means it introduces uh, uses algorithms to introduce a certain amount of randomness, uh, ever slight little slips here and there uh, to make it feel more. Human human because the air is human and to really fuck things up takes a computer <laughs> uh, oh, i'm on a roll i don't know what happened man. That's what i swear i didn't take mushrooms or anything it's all um, about the groove quantization you know but you did right. eat them <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah <laughs> Sorry about that. Because <laughs> I mean, I could, I could do, you know, say, uh, how many drummers to take to screw in a light bulb? Eleven, one to hold the light bulb, and ten to drink until the room begins to spin. Hey guys, I wrote a song. <laughs> Look, everyone, Ringo wrote a song. He wrote a song. <laughs> That's all right. But uh, Jason, you'll appreciate this. Uh, you know, how many guitar players take to screw in a light bulb? Forty-one. One to do it, and forty to Four, go. I could do that. I could do that better. <laughs> right. And then, then how many bass players uh, to take to screw in a light bulb? Only one, but the guitar player has to show them how. <laughs> oh snap! Okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get sued by every musician in, <laughs> in the chat. They'd be like, "That's not true." <laughs> except for it kind of is. Except so. for the drummer one, but <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. Truth, pain, comedy. Says so Wayne the drummer. Close together, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. What do you call a guy who likes to hang out with musicians? A drummer. A drummer. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> what do you get when you cross a, a drummer and a roadie? A really bad roadie. <laughs> <laughs> who never shows up on time. Yeah, never. Okay, sorry. All right, let's let's keep going. <laughs> Where were here? All right, little yeah. need for whole system understanding. An important hypothesis for WBE is that in order to emulate the brain, we do not need to understand the whole system, but rather we just need a database containing all necessary low-level information about the brain and knowledge of the local update rules that change brain states from moment to moment. I fundamentally disagree with this, being a layman as much as I could. Completely yeah, and utterly really for the same analogy I just made about the the two band things. It 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 you can't just take like uh, uh, like the EQ curve for instance. Like I'm trying to think of how to explain this to people who don't know anything about what I'm talking about. It doesn't work. That's why early Line Six gear from the '90s and the early 2000s sounded so sterile. But anyway, sorry, Wayne, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, that's okay. I was just saying that, uh, yeah, that that kind of defies logic a little bit. We don't need to understand how the whole thing works to make the whole thing work. You know, that's like right. saying, uh, you know, we could we could install this air conditioning unit without knowing what parts go where. <laughs> we just need to know what parts there are. That's all. All right. I, I know we don't have a ton of time left, so you guys looked at this more than I did. What what should we get to that's important? Uh, I wanted to jump down to page 107. This is a very long document, yeah. uh, so maybe before you, know, you jump that, a good before you jump that far, I just a couple of little spots here. Of course, they don't have the benefit of having this document unless they, you put the link in there. Page 26. Uh, again, they show that this is where they try to sell it, right? In the same way um, that they try to say, uh, okay, so the the scientific process uh, demonstrates a cause and effect relationship, and so that's how you know we we know things. And then uh, they do the old switcheroo, right? And then bring in science 
scientism and say scientists believe <laughs> yeah, those, those things don't go together right so uh, here they show um, again figure eight uh, canor habitus uh, elegans a popular model organism uh, it's got uh, 302 neuron nervous system right so they fully mod they say they're fully modeling that uh, but okay so they know what connects to what but they can't duplicate it they can't uh, predict with it I mean the, the, they, but they pretend it to and this is the same thing that now they're going they go into this idea of fruit flies right well the reason we use fruit flies for scientific studies is because they have a very short lifespan and uh, they take pretty well to genetic mutation and so you can try out genetic mutations and watch numerous generations over a very short period, period of time uh, and so they're they're again using a false equivalency to say uh, look we've already done this stuff so we can easily do this right just as a little uh, little side notion there uh, from what you were just saying there. Now, this is a side thought. It has nothing to do with this, but this is just something I've observed. Uh, how long have scientists, quote-unquote scientists, been working with fruit flies? Probably for, you know, at least the past 100 years or so, right? How Back many to the 1800s, gener- yeah. How many generations of fruit flies have, have could have been uh, produced and reproduced in in the laboratory setting since then how many millions and possibly billions of generations of fruit flies billions and yet and billions. billions and billions and yet they never evolved into anything other than a fruit fly did they so what? that kind of throws the whole theory of they it. didn't turn into pigeons are you kidding me oh no they did they uh, murder hornets they became mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay sorry <clears throat> let's jump down to scanning because this seems interesting the first step in brain emulation is to acquire the necessary information from a physical brain. We will call this step scanning. Brain emulation for compartment models of neuron activity needs to acquire both geometric data about the localization and morphology of the nervous connections and functional chemical data about their nature, such as what ion channels, receptors, and neurotransmitters are present, the presence of electrical synapses, electrical membrane properties, phosphorylation states of synapses, and genetic expression states. This must be done at a sufficient resolution. It may be possible to infer some functional properties, such as whether a synapse is excitatory, I just lost my place, or inhibitory purely from geometry. For example, a synapse from a smooth neuron with a particular morphology is likely inhibitory. Yet it remains unclear how much information about synaptic strength and neuromodulator type can be inferred from pure geometry at a given level of resolution. Now, again, this I can make the, the same example with uh, digital sampling. Like you only get so much in, in digital. What sampling means is how many times you can get an analog piece of data per second. And the more data the you have, the more rate, realistic. Yeah. Right, this is sample rate. This I'm... I'm I, I could give the very technical sides of it, but not everybody understands the audio stuff, so I'm trying to really just as basic, basic as possible. Yeah, the, the How many snapshots a second states. can the digital look at whatever the analog waveform is? And this doesn't even have to be audio. This could literally be anything, and they're making the same comparison here. So the more samples per second they can get, the more accurate it will be. Guess what the truth about it is, though? It'll never get all of it because it's not never. real. 
Right. So the so the, the the idea is, as Jason says, so the the sample rate, basically pulse code modulation, what it does, uh, you think of the analog waveform and think of a wave. So it just takes a sample of each one, uh, and then it stair steps in in between them. And the sample rate is again how many times per second. And the Nyquist theorem basically states that um, whatever frequency you want to get, you have to do twice that. So the the range of human hearing is supposedly around twenty thousand hertz, and uh, so you have to do it forty thousand times uh, to do that. So they gave a little for error correction, and that gave you 44.1, which is the standard uh, for CDs, 44.1 kilohertz, so that's how many times for that. Uh, But the problem, as Jason pointed out, is there's still a stair-stepping there. So no matter how many times you do it, it's not a smooth, continuous analog waveform. Uh, And and again, the ear is very smart, just like it knows the difference between uh, a sampled amplifier or uh, a sampled string instrument. uh, It will know know the difference. At first blush, it seems fine, but the more you listen to it, you get very quick uh, listening fatigue, listening uh, to digital music. And certainly, again, these days, many people are listening to far less quality than that, not even uh, 16-bit of 44.1. They're listening to MP3s, which are downsampled uh, quite a bit. So, yeah. yeah, significantly. So the quality, even of the recording, not not even to speak of the music. <laughs> music. Um, <laughs> yeah, like what Stevie Wonder said. You know, it's not that I'm not into, it's not that I don't like rap. It's just right now I'm into listening to music. Anyway, um, yeah, so, but uh, the point being here that the quality of what we're listening to has been so degraded, and it seems to go along with the the quality of the information we get overall, the quality of, uh, you know, programming, the quality of news and music and uh, films and um, journalism, everything has been downgraded uh, so much, even the quality, you know, the quality of food, everything, and we're expected to to accept it as, as normal. Well, here's the other thing. We can continue with the audio analogy because it is so appropriate to this. Uh, Early CDs sound like garbage because it's not just about the sample rate. Sure, the Nyquist theorem does say that 44.1 will get that 20 to 20 that uh, human hearing is supposed to be at. However, there are other Mm -hmm. factors that go in. People said all the time, way back in the early 80s when they first started releasing compact discs, if you took the identical album that was mastered the same way and compared it to the vinyl, to to a brand new vinyl that hasn't been beat to shit, to the CD... It was immediately noticeable, night and day difference. Now, it's come a long (laughs) way. I'm not going to say it hasn't. But, oh, my God, like there are so many other components that go into besides just a sample rate. And this is immediately, uh, you can make the the analogy immediately to this. It's not just about how many times can you sample the the brain and other things going on there. Uh, What about the actual quality of the equipment, which is uh, analogous to the quality of an analog to digital converter, for instance? Sure. And each one is, a, you know, again, a snapshot. It might be uh, a fairly accurate portrait of that in the moment. Uh, but as I've, you know, described before when talking uh, you know, a little bit more metaphysically about, you know, how when people speak their truth, right, they might be giving an accurate description in a way that you could go down to the beach and take a, a pretty good picture, you know, with a, with a good camera, you could take a good picture, but it's still a two-dimensional representation uh, of a three-dimensional space. Right. And even if you were to use film, e- even a 4K camera or anything that gets really tight shots, uh, again, it's still a two-dimensional representation uh, of a three-dimensional space. It's never going to be like being, even if you used holograms, right, that, that uh, generated a 3D image, it's still not going to be the same as being there. And they, they can never uh, duplicate or even really, I think, replicate well uh, what happens in, in the, not even human mind, I would say, even in like a dog, right? You can never do, do even that. Even with this um, uh, little microorganism that they showed previously, they've mapped it. Sure, they know all the nodes, but they can never uh, 
um, duplicate what it actually does. It is simply not life. <laughs> and that's the whole key right there. They don't really know what is consciousness, what is life. When it comes down to it, like sure. what what is it that is the operating system behind all this? And that's yep. kind of where ah. they're they're trying to shift this because, view yep. into the hyper materialist view, and that's that's what it's all about with them. Isn't this yeah, even like that, the brain, that... the Blade Runner analogy, where they were trying to create artificial life, and they were literally Absolutely. biological? They weren't even androids; they weren't robots. They were <clears throat> well, they called the them replicants, system. but they were clonish. Yeah. You know, they were they were right. unique clones. They weren't clones of a person, but they were, for all intents and purposes, like a clone. And what's the what was the moral woven into that? They all went fucking nuts and tried to kill everybody. <laughs> but they wanted to live, right? They had a short lifespan, uh, and they wanted uh, to to live. But you know, it's interesting. Again, if you even go back to any of these organisms, right? All the same components are there when there's no more life. So why? Where did that spark of life go, and how do we duplicate it? It can't be done. We have no idea what life or consciousness is. We just don't. No. And again, I, I keep referring back to this. The idea of going back to philosophy is the very basic of where all of science comes from, which is philosophy, which, yeah, again, etymolo etymologically simply means the love of knowledge. Uh, the affinity for knowledge is uh, philo, uh, to love, and sophia, uh, knowledge, wisdom. Uh, but uh, that's philosophy. And, and the very first question and the primary question is what is consciousness? Uh, and that's the, the root of all the questions there, uh, the, the foundation. And yet we've never answer that question never even come close to answering that question and run off on all kinds of different paths uh, but we've we've never gotten back to that basic foundational question neither i think will we um at least on, on this plane like we are now uh, i don't think we we have uh, either the skills or the uh, the perspective uh, to see it but uh, in any case, but that's what they're trying to tell us, right? Is they understand everything. They've got it all figured out, and they just right. don't. And it's all physical. It's just this physical world. This is it. That's all there is. And you're that's just a complicated they're trying to machine. Tell you. Yep, you're that's just right. a complicated machine. And yeah, once we an figure accident. out, but that's the transhumanist point of view. Like exactly. they don't believe in the concept of a soul. Whatever you truly are, fundamentally, they they are convinced that that can be chopped away and replaced with parts that uh, last a lot longer than the organics. But man, I, I don't think they're right. I mean, I guess this is comes down to your spiritual point of views, but I, I, how many people have had enough spiritual experiences to prove that there is more beyond this world and oh, not me, ever... me, 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 Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm easily distracted. Uh, That's squirrel. okay. <laughs> We're all a little easily distracted at points, too. But, oh, yeah, this is a perfect segue into the, the section I wanted to get to, Jason, yeah, if you just want to finish up this section there. You go. Uh, you want to get down to page 107, right? Yeah, you could finish reading that because this actually leads right into uh, the stuff on page 107. Oh, I, read, I don't know what page I was on, so we'll have to just jump down to this. I, I went down to it for you. Um, all, right. all right, so non-destructive and gradual replacement. Non-destructive scanning requires minimally invasive methods. The scanning needs to acquire the relevant information at the necessary 3D resolution. There are, however, several serious limitations. The movement of biological tissue requiring either imaging faster than it can move or accurate tracking. In cats, the arterial pulse produces 120 to 266, what is that, pico, picometers? Yeah, picometers. Picometer movements lasting 330 to 400 milliseconds and breathing larger 300 to 950 pico movements 
pico picometer movements. The stability time is as short as 5 to 20 milliseconds. Uh, so basically, I think what they're getting at is, do they have processors fast enough to even do this? Right. That's that's what it's talking about here uh, with the, this non-destructive scanning bit. But uh, it goes through uh, the different methodologies for the non-destructive scanning, and then it goes into destructive scanning as well, which is where it starts to get a little more interesting here. But uh, let's continue on with it. Imaging has to occur over a distance of greater than 150 millimeters, the width of an intact brain, or be invasive. The imaging must not deposit enough energy or use dyes, tracers, or contrast enhancers to hurt the organism. The method must not significantly alter the mental or neural state of the subject being scanned in order to avoid a possibly significant observer effect, anomalies, and false reading that could produce a flawed emulation model. Oh, you mean they're going to go fucking nuts and try and kill everyone? Uh, of the possible non-invasive candidates, only MRI appears able to fulfill the limitations, even in principle. Optic imaging, even using first arriving light methods, would not work across such a large distance. X-ray tomography of the intensity needed to image tissue would deposit harmful energy. Well, yeah, zap. The resolution of MRI depends on the number of phase steps used, gradient strength, acquisition time, and desired signal-to-noise ratio. Oh, by the way, that's another big one, signal-to-noise ratio. <laughs> to record micron scale features in a moving brain, very short acquisition times are needed or a way of removing the movement artifacts. Each doubling of spatial resolution divides the signal to noise ratio by eight, requiring longer acquisition times, stronger fields, or more sensitive directors. Finally, there are also problems with tissue water self-diffusion, making resolutions smaller than 7.7 .7 picometers impossible to achieve. Given that brain emulation on the synaptic level requires higher resolution, this probably rules out MRI as a non-destructive scanning method. However, if the brain is frozen, water diffusion and movement do not occur and very long acquisition times can be used. One problem with MRI of frozen brain tissues is that limited proton Mobility reduces the signal. This can be ameliorated by keeping the brain at minus one degree Celsius. MRI might therefore be a possible scanning method for frozen or fixed brains. Since it is not destructive to the tissue, it may also act as an adjunct to other destructive scanning methods. We should probably talk about the concept of signal-to-noise ratio because that's significant. It's something that Dr. Kaufman even brought up uh, in regards to the modern tests that don't do diddly shit. When you try and look at something and keep needing, you only have so much data to work with when you're talking about a digital thing. So if you're trying to get greater and greater detail, you need to keep blowing something up more and more and more and more. Guess what's going to happen? You're going to bring up the noise floor, for lack of a right. better term. It, well, it works a, a perfect... lot like. Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead, Wayne. No, go go ahead, Wayne. I was going to say it, it actually works a lot like pixelation of a picture, same kind of it's thing. It's the same concept. Like if you, yeah, if you pull in a picture, you get all that pixelation as you get closer and closer we need to try and get to the smaller and smaller on it so it's the same kind of a thing well yeah the easiest way to explain that is you download with, a jpeg off of off of uh, whatever you go to google images you take a picture you want to look at and you want to see something in the background you start doing the little plus thing you start magnifying glassing boom boom as you're getting larger it's only got so much resolution to work with and if you try to make it huge what have you got a great big squared out mess 
Yeah, and the same, again, applies uh, with music. If you have a very, or, or anything you're trying to amplify, if you have a very, very uh, low or insignificant signal, you have to amplify that. Uh, the self-noise of the amplifier is going to go right up with it. And so you have very, very little signal-to-noise ratio. It's basically signal versus noise. It's expressed as a ratio, uh, right? And when it's that's very low, it doesn't work. And it's the same reason we can, as uh, so I talking about uh, to Bob Nadell about this with um, signal and wave propagation, uh, for example, from quote space uh, going, you know, the the uh, Voyager and that sort of stuff coming, uh, like ten trillionth of a watt coming over millions of miles. And the first square law says absolutely not. There's no way. There's no way you could ever uh, find anything in the signal uh, in either direction. And and the idea that that uh, not only could we receive it, but send a signal back and it could receive it. Uh, <laughs> preposterous it is uh, very silly but yeah the, this idea of signal to noise uh, again anything digital i think this goes along very uh, well with what crow is always saying again this artificial world that they try to create that they can be the lord and master over since they can't really be the god of the created the natural created world they create an artificial world and get everybody to sign on board so they can control that and it's the same thing as, you know, again, Ready Player One or the Matrix and any of these things, um, that it is an artificial world that they control, that we consent to, uh, so they can control that and control us. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. That's uh, 100% correct. So uh, let's continue on, I guess, here. All right, so you want to get down to gradual replacement? Yeah, we could get there. Scanning might also occur in the form of gradual replacement as piece after piece of the brain is replaced by an artificial neural system interfacing with the brain and maintaining the same functional interactions as the lost pieces. Eventually, only the artificial system remains and the information stored can be moved if desired. While gradual replacement might assuage fears of loss of consciousness and identity, it appears technically very complex as the scanning system not only has to scan a living, changing organism, but also interface seamlessly with it, at least on the submicron scale, while working. The technology needed to achieve it could definitely be used for scanning by disassembly. Gradual replacement is, therefore, not likely as a first form of brain emulation scanning, though in practice it may eventually become the preferred method of non-destructive scan if, if non-destructive scanning is not possible. It is sometimes suggested that extending the brain through interfaces with external software might achieve a form of transfer where more and more of the entire person is stored outside the brain, possibly reaching the point where the brain is no longer essential for the composite person. However, this would not be brain emulation per se, but rather a transition to a post-human state. The technical feasibility appears ill-defined given current knowledge. It should be noted that even relatively partial such interfaces or life recording would produce a wealth of useful data for developing brain emulations by acting as a yardstick of normal function. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, man. So there it is. Uh, what they eventually are thinking is probably the best way to go with this is to, uh, in the process of scanning your brain to upload your consciousness, they uh, gradually replace all of your uh, existing brain matter with artificial stuff that emulates it. So uh, that's kind of a disturbing development in and of itself, isn't it? And then they're saying that uh, actually if they they can pull this off and do this, uh, you might get to the point where you don't even really need your brain anymore <laughs> in order for you to be who you are. So and you could transfer 
uh, your consciousness to another, uh, you know, any other container that you want, pretty much. Uh, So this is the whole promise of transhumanism right here. It's atheist heaven, like Baldini said. Uh, (laughs) This is what what they're talking about. It's the same kind of a philosophical concept of an afterlife, uh, but with the hyper-materialist spin on it. So this is kind of like religion for atheists. (laughs) So when you want to look at it that way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. I I think technology would have to be in a very different place. I think you'd need very different kind of computing because I think the analogies we were making to the audio world were very spot on. I I mean, especially even this was 13 years ago. Uh, Digital anything 13 years ago sounded like crap. Uh, the cameras weren't even that very good yet, digital cameras yet. Like, they've come a long way. Again, uh, things just are, are getting better and better because they can make things smaller and smaller. But I'll tell you something. You still – you can shoot great digital films now. I mean, obviously, Hollywood is doing it all the time. But if you A-B'd that directly to a full 35-millimeter print, which is how things used to be done, uh, still – no, <laughs> the 35 millimeter looks way, better. way better. And Deeper. on movies too, shot, shot on film looks way better, even, even 16 millimeter, but 35 millimeter film or 72 millimeter film. Oh my God. Uh, there's nothing like it. it doesn't, I mean, 4k, 8k. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, here's the thing. It has the depth. When they're taking the those old movies, older, older movies, I should say, if they were shot on good film, the reason why they can remaster them today digitally, when they say remaster, what they're doing is taking the Shooting best on a copy. Yeah. Well, they're they're taking that 35 millimeter print, the whatever the best they can get, master copy they can get, and they're doing an 8K scan of it, pulling yeah, that much yeah. data out of it. Whereas, like if it was shot on digital, for instance, which might be. 2K to 4K, probably until more recently anyway. Well, guess what? You can't really remaster that. It is what it is. So you can get an old, a slightly older film that was shot on 35 millimeter that you can get an 8K print out of if you wanted to because the data is there to get. But if you shot on digital, you shot on digital. Now, That's they're it. always yeah. coming up with algorithms to make things a little better, but it's not the same thing. It's just it, they're not – it's not. It's apples and oranges when it really comes. Yeah, down you can to infer it. some some things in the gaps, like in those stair steps, as we were talking about. Then you try to uh, smooth those out, right, by uh, extrapolating the data in between them. Uh, but again, it's it's never going to be the same as an analogous, uh, a true uh, physical analog copy, ever. And uh, then some when you're trying to go from real life again with just uh, not just the organic material, but the, the spark of life. Uh, it just uh, it can't be be done. And, it, you know, I've watched this for, for a long time and have always been uh, fascinated uh, that um, this sci fi world, scientism, whatever you want to call it. But also uh, even kind of going into the dark occultic arts, um, you know, with um, necromancy and that sort of thing is uh, tends to see. I mean, to me, it looks like um, they're trying to get the ability, like Frankenstein, to create life outside the natural world, that create their own life. Um, but they don't right. have the ability to make life. The same thing we saw with, uh, you know, quote, UFO or, you know, alien um, uh, cattle mutilations. They're always taken. What? The sex organs, the soft tissues, mucus, that sort of stuff uh, that you would use if you were trying to build an artificial organism uh, using uh, existing materials. That's what you'd take. <laughs> DNA samples. That's 
that's what you'd take, uh, it does seem like they've been trying to make their own version of life. That's exactly what it's about when you go back to the old esoteric principles. You're talking about things like the, the golem, golem, right, yep. or, or the homunculus. Yep. Uh, hmm. These are all the same kind of thing. This is just kind of putting a modern spin on that. Exactly. Like, it, you know, it's it's the same thing. Technological in necromancy. A right. Yeah. It is. It's it's techno necromancy. Well, here's the thing, to... though. Weren't those things like the Gullum and all that? Weren't they organic? Like, weren't the they Gullum still? The Gullum was not organic. No, it was, it was made mud, of clay. Stone it was yeah. It was made of essentially stone clay. or clay. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the homunculus was was organic materials, but. Uh, even if you're talking about organic materials, all these things that they're talking about with transhumanism and stuff, uh, they're using a lot of organic materials to try to uh, do these things, make these emulations and stuff I'm like gonna, that. I'm gonna tech. I'm gonna copyright that techromancy. <laughs> techromancy. Techromancy. Yep. Techno necrom. Techno My creation's life. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so uh, they're not talking just you know. Uh, like electronics and that kind of thing, that type of technology here. Transhumanism transcends that. It's all about uh, manipulating biological material and stuff yep. as well. Because that's turning the thing you, you into the machine, yeah. right? As much as they want to be God, they can't. They cannot create something from nothing. So they have to have materials to work with. So they're going to take whatever you know resources are available here to try to mold it into whatever they want, even if it's biological tissue, things like DNA, uh, stuff like that. They want to try and work with this stuff and blend it with like the uh, electronic type uh, apparatus and you know build life that way, quote unquote life that way. Or, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, they're really missing out on the whole spiritual component of it because they look at everything with this hyper-materialist view. So, in my view, I think there's definitely a spiritual component behind it as well. And this is creating a, a, a sort of gateway for something else to step in. This and I think exactly that's what, what, what Wayne and I talked about creepy. on... Yeah, and exactly what uh, Wayne and I talked about on Sola Scripture. I think it was uh, episode three or four uh, where we talked about the Genesis 6 experiment and what appeared to happen uh, in the antediluvian pre-flood world. Uh, is um, th There was an incursion by some other <clears throat> beings uh, who <laughs> messed with DNA uh, across the board, not just human, but all of life. Uh, and it, uh, you know, Scripture talks about uh, Nephilim uh, as well as uh, all the um, animals. Uh, had been um, messed up, right, yeah. and uh, screwed up. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, story. If you're interested in that, it's on my channel, uh, Solar Scriptura with Wayne McCroy. I look for the full episodes. The point fives are just me by myself. But I think it was episode three or four uh, that we we talked about that. So you can take or it a look might at be that. three and four actually. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, we <laughs> the way the way re-roll. Yes, yeah. <laughs> three, four, five, and six. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, we, we spent uh, a lot of time digging into that. All right, so that's going to wind it down for us here. Uh, what do we think as far as the more modern computers, say as a supercomputer or these quantum computers, maybe it could do a bit better at the uh, reproduction to try and trick you into thinking it's, it's real and can think. But I don't know. Uh, even with the zillions of calculations those things can do, I'm, I'm having my doubts because from the way I understand the way the human brain works, just me throwing a baseball bat, or excuse me, throwing a baseball to Wayne and him reaching out to catch it, the amount of computations that his brain just did 
were, from what I understand, quite staggering. Like massive calculus had to be done, even though he's not doing it consciously. Uh, do you think I'm? I, that sounds about right? Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's a good comparison to make. Yeah, the the supercomputers and and the the quantum type computers, uh, they could definitely do those types of of calculations per se, but th there's there's something that's kind of missing in that whole equation. It, it would probably not be as seamless as it is for people to do, uh, because you know of various reasons, but. Uh, the computational power is there, but it's not strictly about the computational power. And that's kind of one of those things where this this gets tied up in the hyper-materialist construct. And that's not what it's about. The brain and the human body does not function in the same way that a computer does. Yep. So it's not really yep. about your calculation rates or how much calculations you can do per second or anything like that. Um, it's a matter of uh, just how it interacts with the environment it has to do with energy fields in my view uh more yep. so than than just absolute straight Morphic up physical resonance things. and that sort of right. stuff. right yeah yeah right and i don't think a computer could do that per se now it could probably do like a, a good simulation of that kind of thing I, i'm sure like you know that's why there's things like the turing test which actually has been passed by several computers now uh, where it could convince you that you're speaking to an actual person. But but really, uh, is so that, it's, is that a it's bar, good enough. But is that a bar of the? Is that a bar of, uh, you know, the computer or or really the the discernment of the person? <laughs> that's the thing. It's all subjective. I mean, See, that's that's where it gets a little tricky because when it comes down to it, it's all very subjective. So it, it's one of those things where you know you could perceive this as that but somebody who might not be as gullible or something might perceive it another way like so it, it is it's very subjective the turing test so somebody could sit and talk to a computer and think yeah it sounds that totally sounds like a person to me but then somebody who might be a little bit more worldly minded or something could sit down and, and realize hey this thing's this is an algorithm talking to me you know so it, it's you know one of those things where it's a good enough simulation that most people yeah. at a passing glance would, would think it's a, a real thing. But well, that's, that's where when I you, put when those you together. A deeper, you, you know, you know? Well, and that's why I kind of put those together again. That, uh, as Jason said, much of it seems to be uh, an attempt to fool us into, into believing that it is conscious, it is uh, in some way sentient. Uh, and the, on the two sides of that, the uh, the technology has increased. Uh, on the other side, uh, the majority of people have been dumbed down. I mean, again, look look at what they're willing to believe uh, when when you see uh, the crazy things even going on around us right now that are very clearly poppycock. I mean, <laughs> they couldn't be more clear that they are lying, and yet people not only uh, endorse it and back it up, but they, if you question it again, you're you're a science denier. Uh, so those no, two you're things. A racist. It, it, Oh, right, right, or a Nazi, right? So uh, I did not see that that coming. And so the the inability of people to uh, to use uh, you know good discernment is uh, uh, I think a, a key component to deception and the power of suggestion. So uh, anyway, yeah. Well, I think it was I think it was Voltaire that said, uh, "He who could make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities." Indeed. Uh, there you go. So that that holds to be true. So like. These people that are bought into this whole transhumanist ideology 
and you know if they're bought in hardcore and they really believe all this stuff like i mean this is a 130 some page document right here talking about the this is this is the technical aspects of how we're going to do this this and that and the other thing and we'll emulate the brain and you know at some point we'll be able to replace the brain with electronic components and transfer people's consciousness into a computer if these people believe that absurdity they will commit an atrocity to achieve that absurdity and that's that's what the whole gist of this whole idea is there's people that actually buy into this this whole idea and this philosophy of transhumanism and uh you know it's it's a very real thing that's rolling down the pike at us with these technologies and what these people believe because they're looking at this from the the strictly hyper materialist viewpoint and in my view that's a very dangerous position to be in is to be caught in this hyper materialist paradigm because there's a much broader and bigger spiritual world out there that uh, this stuff has, you know, nothing, uh, nothing good to do with. And it could only bring about bad things in the spiritual ramification of things in my view. So mm -hmm. that's why I out sounding the alarm bell about this whole transhumanist movement and everything that goes with it. Yeah, they're yeah. developing technologies that could legitimately help people. Yes, I get that. But this is the thing. When you start to read these papers and stuff and see this is what these people believe. This is what they want to do. This is what they're working towards. And they're just pushing aside any ethical concerns or spiritual concerns, all that kind of stuff, and pushing it forward with reckless abandon. This is the thing that's concerning. And this is the people that are basically running this whole kind of philosophy and these are the ones that are getting the funding from the banksters and this is what the elite uh you know royal bloodline classes and stuff want they want to achieve this quote-unquote immortality they want this digital immortality they want this power this control this knowing that uh you know they this is where they're going to be and what they're going to do they want immortality here on this physical plane because here's the thing if they don't achieve this right then if they look at things and realize there's a spiritual aspect to things and i think some of them at the very top realize there's a spiritual aspect of things yeah they're answerable to their creator they know that they're trying to get out of that that's why they're pushing so hard for this now most of your scientists and stuff that are working on this stuff they're bought into the hyper materialist view okay but there are some of those at the topmost levels of the power structure these would be your dark cultists and stuff like that and these people uh you know in in some of these royal family bloodlines or whatever you want to call them and these people know very well that they've done some spiritually wicked things yeah. and that they are answerable to a higher power and they're doing everything that they could possibly yeah. do to avoid the consequence of that. And this is one of the ways they could do that is by achieving this type of a, a digital immortality. Sure. But, uh, and, and not, I think, you know, from from my uh, perspective, Wayne, it's not just that um, some of them are, um, you know, mildly aware <laughs> that they've done some uh, spiritually questionable things, but they're they're more aware of the spiritual reality by far than most people, because again, they've convinced them of hyper uh, materialism. So they're very aware, and they're using it to um, their benefit. 
uh, is doing, you know, uh, spiritually, as you say, wicked uh, things in order to maintain and keep power and control. But I think they're also, you know, again, quite aware uh, that there are uh, consequences. Right. And that's the thing. They want to try to avoid those consequences. But I think by and large, what they don't realize is uh, by doing this, they're creating their own consequences. Because think about it. Uh, Think about uh, immortal existence in a digital mainframe somewhere. Um, This would be. Sounds like hell. (laughs) Exactly. They're building their own hell and they don't see it. They see this as the their only way forward to be so that they don't have to answer to a creator. But guess what? They're building their own prison system. I believe that many of them are themselves deceived. Right. Greatly deceived. Indeed. Yep. All right, kids, I got to, I got to run. Yeah. Let's, let's wind her down here. Uh, anything you want to mention before we, we end this Baldini? Uh, well, just join uh, Rose Triple Seven and I tomorrow morning for uh, the Poppycock Report. As always, that's uh, six a.m. Pacific and nine a.m. on the East Coast, uh, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings for the Poppycock Report. And then again, you can check my channel on Intended Consequences for all those goodies happening on the weekend. Oh, and I'll be at Flattoberfest as well. Uh, just booked all that stuff last night, so uh, <laughs> miracle of miracles, uh, I'm going to show up and make coffee. Awesome sauce, sweet. I'll be your barista. <laughs> I'll be, I'm your huckleberry. Mm. So there you go. Uh, Wayne, got anything you want to mention? I'm just going to mention my new book should be out very soon. Uh, Very nearly finished with it. So I should be uh, putting the final touches on that within the next week or so and uh, trying to get it out to market. Awesome sauce. All right. And join Crow 777 Radio. In the morning for episode 256, we have a gentleman going by the pseudonym KL. This is probably my favorite show as far as the information being delivered. The things he goes into with the law, man, it is absolutely over the top insane. Uh, the, the whole two hours is just information packed. Uh, I'm, I, I can't even say enough good stuff it's about it. It's a great It, awesome. it absolutely is. It's, it's the culmination of what we've been working on with the Lost Series. This, this guy's got it. He's an older, older gentleman, really knows what he's talking about. Uh, we'll talk about it more after it's released, but please check that one out. If you're ever going to – if you've ever been thinking about checking out Crow 777 Radio, 256 is the one to finally go, I think I'll listen to this one. But All right, that's going to do it. We're uh, – way over time from what we usually do here because of our great uh, visit by our friend Steve. So we'll see you guys soon. Thank you so much for being here. Cookie, take care.
Too soon. 